0: My guest today is Jo. she has worked with children with autism and related learning difficulties over 13 years in the school and home setting she has done many years working one-to-one with children supporting them in schools as their paraprofessional and at home as their applied behavioral analysis therapist currently she is a behavioral analysis working with a number of different families, teams, and continuing to work with a few one-to-one children. Working with children one-to-one is by far her favorite part of her job. Jo is passionate about helping others reach their potential while celebrating the differences. All the co-workers and families she supports all make sure the child is happy, relaxed, and engaged at the same time before learning can take place. Thank you, Joe, for coming on today to share one of many stories that you have had working with the disability community. Thanks kind for of having me. Tell us one story that you can't forget that made you the person that you are today.
1: Sure. So, I mean, it'll be a, quite a long story. So, strap in and uh, get ready. Um, I've worked with lots of different kids over the years, and each of them have taught me something completely different. And I think you will agree with this. If you've met one child or one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. They're so different. Mm -hmm. Um, But the particular kid I... Uh, think about most when you ask that question is a kitty who we started working with him when he was four and he had um, been diagnosed with autism I think a year or two before and his parents had tried lots of different things like speech and language therapy and occupational therapy and it had helped but it hadn't he wasn't mm-hmm. talking and he still had really quite big disruptive and sometimes dangerous behaviors mm-hmm. and um, so then he started ABA therapy with us and we, it was quite full on. So he had us supporting him at school and he had sessions after school as well, <clears throat> excuse me, to work on, um, things like dressing skills and play skills and kind of home-based skills. Um, and he had some really kind of unpleasant behaviors, both harmful to himself and just quite disruptive. Um, and I worked with him back then. I was just a kind of baby behavior analyst. I worked with him as his school, do you call them paraprofessionals? Yeah, we paraprofessionals yeah learning support assistant Um, and I worked with him on a one-to-one basis for uh, probably about six years and then he stopped having quite such intense support and I only saw him in his after school sessions and I worked with him all the way up until he was well he now is 17.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, Last year he took his GCSEs which is what we have in the UK um there are national exams when you're 16 years old at school, um, before you leave school, and he got really good grades. So he got, we have a funny system here, they're the equivalent of a mixture of A's, B's and C's, and he got a mixture of those. Um, he did that whilst going to school independently without any paraprofessional with him. He had a little bit of extra support from the teacher, but not much. And um, this was throughout a pandemic as well, so a lot of it was online learning, and he's now gone to college independently, and he is absolutely thriving. And like I said to you before, he is just the nicest human that you will ever meet. He's had so many years of being around adults, trying to fill his brain and heart with lots of kind of ideas and thoughts about life. He's just taught us so much than we could ever teach him.
0: Yeah. So tell me some things that he taught you. Like, what did he like teach you that you didn't know or teach you how to do better in?
1: I think when I first started in behavior analysis I was very green and I just wanted to help everybody and every like I had my concept and like I was only 21 at the time or 22 at the time like I can't be mad at myself I was you know naive but I had kind of a very set idea of what children should be and how not even children, but like how humans should be and how humans should behave. And I was quite black and white about it. And if a child's naughty, and I put that in inverted commas, naughty, then like there should be a certain way that there are consequences for them. And all the kiddos I've worked with have taught me otherwise. But this kiddo in particular, um, he really liked to see um, people being shocked. So if he did something and he could get the reaction of <laughs> like big white eyes and hands to the face, that was just the best thing ever and very quickly taught me that actually you have to work with individuals of what they are motivated for and so instead of looking shocked when he weed on my shoes which he loved to do i instead would look shocked when he said good morning to me in the morning or he put the toys away or you know he managed to pull up his own trousers after going to the toilet and so i would give this kind of very fake reaction to something and it looked really odd to other people of course and we we shaped that behavior over time so instead of him loving the awful shocked the kind of oh what have you done Mm -hmm. uh shaped that behavior into him suddenly realizing actually I I can love as well when people say well done that's amazing because they're quite quite similar aren't they
0: yeah 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 so you're encouraging more positive behaviors for sure
1: Exactly. And I think that's a really big um, issue that we uh, are trying to tackle within the field, certainly in the UK, of we don't want to change these individuals who they are. Mm -hmm. But there are certain things that they do that just isn't helpful for them. If we hadn't changed that behaviour of being excited to see people's shocked faces, he would have done increasingly wild and dangerous things. He would take all of his clothes off and run down the road naked because it got great shocked faces, but that's really dangerous for him. Like he's a child. you can't. I mean, no one can do that, but particularly a child can't do that. Um, And so we don't want to change who he is. And he still loves to see people shocked faces. I remember when he swore, he cussed at me and used the C word. Now I'm not someone who would ever use that word anyway, but goodness me, he did it with this little kind of smirk on his face. And I was like, Think we should talk about when and who you should use that word with? He was like, I know, Joe. I just wanted to see your face. (laughs) And so I haven't. We haven't taken that away from him. He still uses it sometimes, but now he knows how to use it in a way that's really appropriate. And he was totally ready to get on, like you know, stand back and say, I'm so sorry. That was really inappropriate. And he knows how to apologize. But when he was younger, if someone was shocked and genuinely offended by it, he couldn't care less, and he didn't know how to get Mm -hmm. himself out of the situation.
0: Yeah. So what motivated him? What did you find that motivated him?
1: I guess most kids his age, he was four or five at the time. Most kids his age are motivated by the standard stuff, right? The iPads, maybe not back then, but like, yeah, the iPads, the sweeties, the candy, adult praise, adult acceptance. When they tell them they're being a good boy or a good girl, he couldn't have cared less about this. He liked the sweets. He didn't really care about the other stuff he was motivated for other people's reactions and to escape from work. So if he could get out of doing anything he didn't want to do, that was number one. And number two was having people's reactions. So he, I went to the bathroom once when I was at home with him and he went through my bag, found a bright red lipstick and put it all over his face. And then all over the, my quite expensive leather bag, it got oh. a reaction. And that was what he was looking for, right? And so uh, what he also taught me was a really good poker face because in that moment, I should have given him the poker face and just maybe redirected him to something different whilst we both calmed down. Mm -hmm. And then later maybe talk to him about like, like what are some other ways that we could get that reaction instead? And just ignore the fact that 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 behavior's happened because if I shout at him or if I put him on the naughty step, like is that going to change his behavior? No, it's not. And it's not kind and it's not helpful. So why bother?
0: yeah 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 oh my gosh that's funny he's really clever actually
1: and he is he's always been such a smart kiddo
0: he's
1: just it's and I find it so interesting I find the human brain so interesting like he's so smart it's just with autism they use their smarts in such different ways and it's not a bad thing because I think that's where you know we get some genius from um but yeah he's a smart yeah. kiddo and we laugh about it now. Sometimes, like he'll, like when he was sixteen, he said to me, "Like I had a memory, Joe. Do you remember when I peed on your shoes?" And I was like, "Yes, you did it most weeks." He's like, "Why did I do that?" He's like, "You wanted to get out of work," and he was like, "I'm so sorry." Okay. Um, but at that time, he didn't. Maybe did he have the words? He had the words at that time to say, "I don't want to do this work now." but maybe he'd had such a history of adults saying to him, well, you've got to do this work, sit down mate, and do it. Or maybe by peeing on my shoes, not only did he get out of work, but then he also got a big reaction as well. So that it worked better for him. He got two things that he loved, not just one.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what were some things that you worked with him to get him to complete work?
1: Um, We had to, first of all, we had to um, teach him that we were, good people and so like I said before he had a history of maybe asking for what he wanted and not being given it because I mean you're a kid you have to sit on the carpet and you have to do your math sums and um and so if he asked for what he wanted he wouldn't always get it so first we had to teach him that we weren't like the other people so if he told us that he needed to go we'd let him go and we really built up that trust Mm -hmm. then we had to teach him that he couldn't always have his way so um he might say like I want to go and run down the street naked and sometimes we would say no and so we had to teach him how to um, respond to being told no in an appropriate way and then when he did that sometimes we'd give him his way anyway so let's say for example he would say to me um, (coughs) it's math lesson I want to go to the sensory room and I would say nobody sorry you've got to stay in the set you've got to stay in there maths for lesson and remember by this point he's learned that I'm a good person that doesn't force him to do things he doesn't want and I would prompt him and say remember you can say that's okay Joe. I don't mind staying or that's okay no problem and as soon as he said it I'd go do you know what you accepted my no so calmly let's go to the sensory room anyway Mm -hmm. um then we taught him and then after we did that so he knows that we're good people he knows he can ask for what he wants he can tolerate being told no in a polite way. Then we started building up tasks with him. So like, well, no, you know, let's do one math equation and then let's go to the sensory room. Then let's do two math equation. let's go to the sensory room. Um, but always being mindful that before we would teach him these things, the most important thing was to teach his therapist things, i.e. how to spot in him when it really was too much. So when is it the time to push him? And when is it the time to say, like, he's dysregulated, he's tired, he's hungry. Now's not the time to push. Now's the time to support and be kind. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And then how do you teach that to his team?
1: A difficult team. So um, <laughs> I could think about it. Like, let's say like I'm personally get really hungry. And my husband knows my warning signs, right? Maybe I'm chewing the sides of my nails. Maybe I'm like tapping my feet quite a lot. Like he knows my warning signs. And good God, he's got a bag of snacks with him because he doesn't like the hangry me. But like it's the same with kids, right? It's quite rare that they go from zero to 100. And even if you do have that kind of kid that goes to zero to 100, you typically know they're buttons like what is it that pushes their buttons so maybe like the teacher has mentioned maths equations five times this lesson probably time to skip because maths equations really you know gets this kid or maybe you know it's windy outside and the wind really gets to this kid and so it's making sure that like you have to be the expert on the kid that you're working with Um, and the more that you are the expert the better day you're both gonna have and often like I would have this notebook with me and on the way home, I would just write out like almost everything that happened that day. And by writing it out, I'd go, oh, it's the wind. Of course it's the wind. How did I not realize that? But if you're not the expert of that child, then you're only going to have a really hard, both of you going to have a really hard day, which I understand when you're not a one-to-one and you're a teacher of 30 children, that's not always easy to do.
0: Yeah. And I realize as a special education teacher, we do that too. But like, how do you get it to go more than just the special education teacher? How do you get general education teachers involved? How do you get them to get more of a relationship building and understanding their triggers and understanding what motivates them? How do you do it?
1: Um. Well, I suppose nowadays I work Kind of, I go into schools, tell the teachers what to do and leave again. So I hope I do it in the right way. Maybe I leave and they roll their eyes and I don't. And um, often it's talking through with them what works and what doesn't work. So maybe they're banging their head against a brick wall and they're trying something and it's just, it's not sticking, it's not working. <clears throat> but they're often quite invested in it. You know, they've made the star chart and they've laminated the stickers and they're really invested in it. They really want it to work. And so sometimes it just takes like a kind smile and a gentle, How's that working for you? And they step back and they go, oh, I've done it for a month now and it's not working. And I'll like you. I guess you have to work with the teacher's motivations as well. Like, what's important to you? And they'll say, Well, it's important to me that kiddo sits down and is quiet and doesn't like rip my walls apart. Or it's important that this kid learns at least one math concept a day rather than running out of the room. And so then working with them. Okay, well, how are we going to get there? We need to make sure that you know kiddos happy so that kiddo can do what it is that will make you happy um I don't know if that answered your question
0: no yeah yeah because I always find sometimes that I'm working one-to-one with the teacher of just like what motivates you and then what motivates them and then trying to find a combination with the two but I also know that sometimes the kid knows the adult who like truly knows him and won't do as much with another teacher as with you. And so it's tricky because it's like when you're describing, like we just have different perspectives of the kid when we're talking to parent or talking to someone else. um, Teachers are like, oh, I haven't seen that. And I'm like, well, I have seen that. Like it's doable, but like try to get past the, I guess, combinations of motivations and like trying to combine them. I think that's the hardest part for me is just, being able to, okay, you want him to learn this today, and then he wants to do this, and it's kind of coming together. But I also see general ed teachers; they have a lot of kids, like a lot of kids, and so they're like, I can't just spend this much time on one kid when I have two hundred other kids that I have to worry about. And so that's also another tricky aspect because they probably want to do the exact same thing that they're doing for this one kid with all the rest of their kids you know, but they can't do it because it's just a lot of kids.
1: Yeah, I happen to work with a lot of girls with autism and in that situation, they are particularly problematic for me because girls with autism, excuse me, will often sit very quietly. They will copy what their peers are doing and they will be, in inverted commas, and I hate this phrase, good girls. And so when you're a teacher or a SPED teacher and you've got 29 other children and especially if you're in a special needs class where like five of the kids are causing havoc, but you've got a little girl who's sitting nicely, doing what the peers are doing, doing what she should be doing and not causing mayhem. She's not going to get all your attention, but she doesn't understand what's going on in the class. And she's probably having a mini meltdown but just internally because she's masking. And so for me, those are the hardest ones to get the teachers to buy into giving them the extra help because they're not a problem. They're fine. I so often hear they're fine. I think, oh, she's not fine. She's really struggling, but you just can't see it.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's also, I think, across the boards with teachers is like the loud ones are always noticed. And then the quiet ones are always put aside. And it's like, and that's one thing I get frustrated with for sure is like, I want to be able to help more of the quiet ones because I know they're struggling, but my time is spent majority of the time on the ones that are like, causing a distraction in the room talking out leaving the class and it's hard to find a balance between the two
1: yeah I have maybe I shouldn't admit this I have two types of teachers I have the type of teachers who are genuine genuinely run off their feet and they are really they want to help but they've got so many kids they can't you know necessarily do it and that is 99% of the teachers I work with and in which case I'll really work with them and explain to them about you know I know my like little girl here looks like she's coping, but she goes home and has a three hour meltdown because she's masking all day. I really need us to kind of work together on this. And then I have the 1% of teachers whose heart just isn't in it and they couldn't care less. And in that case, I go to the principal and I get nasty. (laughs) Um, But also, I mean, to go back to what else we could do, like when we're working with the kid one-to-one, we always plan whatever we're teaching, we put a plan in place to generalize it. So no kid really should be having to learn one-to-one ideally every child should be able to learn within the general classroom setting so let's say for example I put an intervention in place where kiddo gets my full attention for an hour to do this particular task and he gets this visual prompt and this help and all these other things that we put in to scaffold the work and help them do it I have to then make a plan for taking all those things away when am I going to take that visual prompt away when am I going to take that help away when am I going to take my attention away and so but but doing it slowly so it's not big and scary for the kid so maybe you can give levels of attention right I could be right next to you with big eyes and kind of like pointing at things or I could just know take a step back and dial my attention down a bit and lower my voice a bit and then I can stand on the other side of the room and just kind of like give nods and smiles and then I can be outside the room and just walk in occasionally to give them a pat on the back. So planning for that like how are you going to generalize the skill to the general classroom setting and how are you going to slowly withdraw all the lovely help that you've given not because you want to go away but because hopefully that kid doesn't need your help anymore.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah because that's also a difficult thing too is pulling back. Yeah. Because I think sometimes we give so much and then get used to it. And then when we start pulling back, they're like, what is, wait, what are you doing? Like, I don't know how to like, quote unquote, I don't know how to do it in order to get you back closer. And I'm like, no, you do know how to do it. Because I also think it's a confidence thing. I think we help them build that confidence. And then we start pulling back to work on the independence. And they're like, hold on. No, no, I don't. I don't get it. I need help. And I'm like, no, you got it. Like, I think it comes with the confidence thing of just building it up. Because I'm like, I've seen it happen. I know you're capable of doing it. So it's more of a, when you start pulling back, it's more of like reinforcements of like confidence builders for me. That's what I notice.
1: I have, um, a lot of the kids that we work with, we teach them to um, respond to our clearing our throats. So if I'm in the classroom and I go, <clears throat> the kid knows that he or she needs to look up at me because I'll be giving him an instruction and and that's better than me going excuse me Johnny like you need to look at me because like all the other kids will then know that I'm giving special help whereas it's really unobtrusive for me to just go um unfortunately if I ever have a cold the kid that I'm working with has a horrendous day and they're like on the edge of their seat like what do you want from me woman (laughs) but anyway and I worked with one uh gosh this is years ago and it's about 12 years ago one little girl and uh it was the same so she she could do loads independently but it's just the confidence so I would give her a little throat clear and then like point to the stationary cupboard in the classroom and then both of us would like go in the stationary cupboard like semi close the door and then kind of like have a like a silent dance party like you're doing so well I'm so proud of you okay go and then we would like secretly go back and like pretend that nothing had happened because actually in that classroom she she was um very capable none of her peers knew that i was there for her they thought i was just another like student teacher that was there to help everybody
0: and mm-hmm. so you
1: have to find these little sneaky ways to give confidence boosts that aren't the same as you sitting next to them holding their hands
0: yeah for sure confidence boost and motivating them key are the key to success that's what i found and i'm like um, trying to like uh, advocate that more because i know i'm definitely a huge advocate for my kids of just like This is what motivates them. This is what they need in order to build their confidence and kind of just reminding them of strategies that got them to where they are, the adults. You know, I was like, we didn't have those as kids. We were taught them. They don't have those strategies yet. So we got to teach them. And they always like, those little reminders always help sometimes.
1: For me as well, now that I often teach other people how to do what we do, it's a lot about teaching the grown-ups to take a step back actually maybe a lot of the time the kid doesn't need them and they're perfectly confident but oh they just they just might need my little help and like I can still tie their shoelaces for them like no time to step back because you're by helping them too much you're actually hindering them if they're not next to an adult they're more likely to talk to their peers if you're if they're not next to an adult they're more likely to try it themselves and be brave and by being next to them all the time you're secretly telling them that they can't do it without you
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah or if even if the general ed teacher is like noticing the special education teacher isn't there they're like oh they can't do it without her present and I'm like actually they're they're capable of doing it without me present but like you just have to give them that confidence I think it's also a confidence with teachers too like you have to be confident that they can do it because Majority of the time, they will surprise you all the time. That's why I love this field. Well, thank you so much for your amazing story and our conversation. And you are listening to The Capable Podcast and stay tuned for more stories to come.